I like a good story as much as anybody else. Um, what happens after, and they lived happily ever after? Because nobody just lives happily ever after, right? I mean, on some level, it's very poetical. It's very fairy taleish. It's very nice. That's great. But nobody does that. There's still, you still still got to, I don't know, you still get runny noses. You still have taxes to pay. You still have adventures in the future. You still have mediocre food to eat. There's still stuff going on for the rest of your life. It's not just happily. On one level, yes, I get that's a great fairy tale. But on another level, it's just bad writing. You know, it's just like, and then other stuff. Like, well, you can't just say, and then st- other stuff. You can't do that. Stuff is still happening even after the credits roll on that particular movie, that particular episode. And the only time, the only time that it's true that it's just, and they live happily ever after, is in movies or fairy tales and stuff that's not true. You're like, I'm just telling this story that's not true. And then I say, and they live happily ever after. In real life, uh, and then there's Monday, and then there's Tuesday. It just keeps going on. And that's true even of Resurrection Sunday, isn't it? Amazing! It was awesome! Cool! The end. No! And then came Monday, and then came Tuesday. There's still stuff going on. There's still stuff to to learn. In fact, Jesus isn't even done with his last teachings. We've been talking about his last teachings. He's not even done with his last teachings. You go, but he died. Yeah, but he didn't stay dead. And he still has stuff to say. So I'll tell you what, let's pick it up where we left off last week. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but do me a favor, open up your Bibles to John 20, and we're going to go to a couple different places. But on the evening of that first day of the week where we left off, Easter Sunday, this is the evening of that Easter morning, when the disciples were together and the doors were locked. Why? Because they were scared. The Jewish authorities just nailed Jesus to the cross and he died. You go, yeah, I, but he's alive again. Go, well, so the women said, but the other guys hadn't seen it yet. Why would they doubt? Why would they doubt what the women told them? Oh, okay, if you really want to go there, all right. Uh, I'm hoping that they're beyond that, but fine. Terry says, because they're women, so fine. Why else might they doubt? They didn't see it themselves. And it's a, we talked about this last week, it's a little kooky, right? It's a little irrational. Although, as we talked about in Sunday school, what they're saying is irrational, but believing them may not be. If you go, I have no reason to think that you're lying, and yet... My grief is to the point where I'm like, why would you say that about somebody that's that's dead? It's still fresh in my memory. Plus, I mean, isn't this why Peter had a little bit of a trouble and denied Christ? It's scary. They're like, we're going to take him out and we're going to nail him to a tree for his blasphemy. You're with him, aren't you? No. <laughs> so they're in the upper room, locked because they're afraid of these Jewish authorities. And as that was happening, when they're up there with the doors locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Because who cares about locked doors, right? We were already talked about that last week. I'm pretty sure he could get out without the angel rolling the stone away. He could get out of the wrappings without unwrapping them. He can get out of the tomb without it being opened. He can get into the door without the door being opened. 
Dr. Luke, you can stay in John or you can jump to Luke with me and come back. I don't care. Dr. Luke in Luke 24 said, they were startled. I'm sure they were. They were startled and frightened. It's basically, they're terrified, thinking they saw a ghost because, well, he was dead and he apparently passes through locked doors. And he said to them, well, no, 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 no. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Why would they doubt? You go, well, because, you know, it was women. Okay, no, because I wasn't there. And you go, why are you still doubting? I'm literally standing in front of you. And they're like, because it can't be. I'm, I'm mourning you still. You can't still be. You can't be. Look at my hands and my feet, he tells them. It's I myself. Here, touch me. See, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. I'm not a ghost. And it's incredibly important that you get this. Again, Sunday school, we just talked about Tertullian saying he was really alive. He had real flesh and blood. He really, really flesh and blood died. And he really, really flesh and blood wasn't dead anymore. have to wrap your head around that or else nothing wonderful can come from this story. <laughs> Absolutely. He's like, I'm, just, I'm real. I'm completely alive again. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. The, the implication in the Greek is they, they did. They touched him. They put their hands in. They said, yes, I, I, I feel the holes. I feel the body. I feel this. And while they still didn't believe, they still didn't believe, but this time because of joy and amazement. Maybe I didn't believe the first time because of grief. But the second time I'm like, Really? I can't believe it. I can't even. They still don't believe. He's like, uh, uh, do you have anything to eat? Do you have some fish, something? I don't, what do I need to do to prove to you this isn't a magic trick? What do I need to do? you have something here to eat? It's not enough for me to tell you in advance that I'm going to rise? Remember when I told you in advance every single part of what was going to happen? Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't believe it. We doubt it. Okay. Remember when the women came and told you? Yeah, we didn't believe it. We doubt it. Remember when I came and stood among you and said, peace be with you? That was like a minute ago? Yeah. Did you believe? No, we doubt it. Can I have some of your fish? How is he doing that? Because I'm alive. I'm as alive as you guys are. In fact, let's be honest, more. I'm resurrected. I'm completely alive. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it. Like that's some kind of amazing thing. Is it? I mean, on one level, yes. On one level, it's an amazing thing. He's a dead guy who isn't dead anymore. On another level, how many of you have ever eaten in my presence? You ever seen me eat? Not pretty, but have you ever seen me eat? And did you did you go... Who's he doing that? <laughs> the same way you do, because I'm alive. It's not that amazing. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. He says, do you believe now? I mean, to be fair, would you have automatically? If Mary had come back and told you, would you have gone, wow, that's great to hear. Would it have immediately reminded you of all those times where he said, let me clarify. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. Yeah, yeah. No. Okay. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be turned over to sinful men. They're going to crucify me. Third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. Is that where your brain would go? Or would you go, ooh, you're talking funny talk. Would you have believed if Peter then? Peter came back and said, no, it's serious. It's empty. You go, oh, well, if Peter said it. 
Mary, I don't know, but Peter said, would you have automatically believed your own eyes that that thing that you couldn't have hoped to have been true is actually true? Could you believe with your own eyes? Any of us might struggle with this. Back in John, John chapter 20, verse 11, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Because the first time it's arguably a, hi, this is what you say, peace be with you. But again, I'm going, no, peace be with you. Chill, guys, really, relax, stop. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to be filled with my spirit. Not just at a moment like Samson, filled with the Holy Spirit, killed a bunch of Philistines. The prophet Bucky, filled with the Holy Spirit, said something really impressive. I want the Spirit of God living in you. And it's going to take your doubts away because you're going to say, wait, this is different. And yet, weren't we told that Thomas still doubted after that? So apparently... Being filled with the Holy Spirit didn't change Thomas. Why? He wasn't there. Ten guys got filled with the Spirit. Not Thomas. We're told that Thomas, called Didymus, the twin, I don't know who his twin was, one of the twelve wasn't with them. I don't know why. I don't know. But the rest of them are huddled in fear, and Thomas wasn't. So that's a plus in my mind. I like Thomas. Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, wasn't with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him later, hey, we saw Jesus. We've seen the Lord. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. Because he's a doubter. Doubting McDoubter Thomas. Doubty doubter. They'd never doubt like that. He's a doubter. Doubty doubt McDoubter. Wait, they doubted when Jesus is standing in front of them. Why is it doubting Thomas? Just because he's the one that Jesus said, stop doubting. He's like, well, the other ones did too. Yeah, but he said it in a verse I like. So I got to go back to, why did he say this? Did he say it that way? Was it because he's such a doubting doubter? Or did he say, Thomas, called Didymus, wasn't with them? So the other disciples said later, we've seen the Lord. And he said, right sure you had. How much did you have to drink that night? Was, or, I was talking to the reindeer just a second ago. Was it, was it grief? Where he's like, how, how, how could you say that? I'm still grieving. They're like, yeah, but we're not anymore. And he's like, how can you not be? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where you guys put yours. And put my finger where the nails were, where you guys put yours. Put my hand in the side where you guys put yours. All of you guys touched him. And until, until I do that, what you guys did, I, I'm, I can't believe you're saying that. It struggles. I, I, I can't. But he's not asking anything that they didn't already do. He's not doubting any more than they are. In fact, he didn't say, unless I see a meeting fish, did he? If anything, he's doubting less than they're doubting. The key issue here is Thomas isn't a doubter. He's a pragmatist. He's grieving. He didn't have the experience that they did, and he doesn't have the Holy Spirit in him like they do. But naturally, don't we all tend to want some sort of proof 
before we believe? Which is, of course, foolishness, right? It's grammatical foolishness. You don't need proof before you can have faith. You might need proof before you agree, but you don't need proof before you have faith. That's the whole point of faith. I trust not because I now agree that that is what happened. I trust because I trust you. I trust you. Even if what you're saying doesn't make sense, well, I trust you. I'm using logic, I'm using rationality to possibly believe something that itself is irrational. But it's not irrational for, for me to believe, but it also doesn't have to be proven to me to believe because I trust you. It's about that relationship. It's not irrational, it's not magic. It's about relationship. I trust you. Our relationship is such that I know I can trust you. So a week later, we're told, today, this is a week after Easter, which is why we're... So a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. And though the doors were locked, why? It doesn't say, but the last time is because they were scared. Is there any reason for us to believe that they aren't this time? Well, they're certainly not doubters. They're all on board now. Everything's great. They totally changed. You go, well, not totally, because they're apparently still scared. So the doors are locked. This time, Thomas is with them. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you again. See how this works. And he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach your hand up. Put it into my side. I heard what you said last week. I heard what you said. Have you been hearing what I've said? Here, do what they did. Stop doubting and believe. We go, oh, because he's the one who doubted. Jesus goes, here, touch me. Prove it to yourself. And so in the next verse, we're told that Thomas did what the other guys did. They, he put his fingers in the holes, put his hand in his side. Yes? What does your Bible say? Thomas says, crumples and says, my Lord and my God. This changes you. I don't need to put my hands in. I don't need to touch. I, you are God. The only disciple to have come up with that. My Lord and my God. Thomas only doubted what everybody else had doubted, what sounded to everybody like nonsense. But then he believed. But I love what Jesus says next. And he's saying it to Thomas, but let's be honest. He'd say the same thing to the rest of the, the other ten, couldn't he? Because you've finally seen me, you believed. You didn't believe when Mary came back and told you. You didn't even know exactly what was going on in the tomb. John believed something. They didn't know what. When I was in front of you, you guys didn't believe your own eyes. But now that you guys have finally seen me, you finally recognize me, you believed. How about blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believed? Blessed are those who don't need the pragmatics spelled out for them. Go tell those guys. Blessed are those who believe because they trust me. They put their faith in me. They put, have a relationship with me. And they don't need to have tests or clarifications as to how it all works. Blessed are those who just 
trust. It's a great line in, in the movie The Big Country where somebody looks at the thing and goes, how many times does a man have to win you? Didn't you love him? Yes. Don't you still? Well, but I don't know what he's doing. Does he have to prove it again? How many times does a man have to win you? How many times does God have to win us before we say, I just believe. I just believe. Moses doubted. Abram doubted. Disciples doubted. We're in good company. But move with me to Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They, when they saw him, they worshipped him there because worship is this natural reaction to being in the presence of God. What's the next word in your Bible? In verse 17? Oh, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But nasty little, ugly little, brutal little, huge, tiny little word. It's a wonderful word. It's a wonderful word when God just said something really, really intense. But, you go, whoo! They worshipped him. But, some doubted. Some still hesitated. Why? Why? Why do we still struggle? You know Jesus. You know him. He is risen. If you believe that, why would you stutter step? Why? It's hard to act on things that, frankly, just we don't grasp. Familiar with the term analysis paralysis? Sometimes you're just thinking about it so much and you're just like, if I could just get an answer, but like Hamlet, I get too many different answers and now I don't know. I don't know, should I kill my uncle or not? There's just too much. I don't, I just, I don't, I have to act, I have to act, and I, I don't, I just, I, oh, I don't know if I know what to say or do, or is that, do I understand this completely? I'm just, maybe I should go to seminary before I talk to people about the gospel. I don't know that I... I was just talking to Sarah. It's possible that it's possible that as Stephen is preaching this wonderful gospel message before he got stoned, he may have even misquoted the Old Testament, reading the wrong bad translation of it. It's possible. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. What do you know? I know he's risen. Share that. What do you know? I remember what he said. Share that. They went to Galilee, but they still doubted. Our natural reaction should be like Mary to run and tell people. It should be. Then Jesus came to them in verse 18 and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because I am over all things, I have dominion over everything, everyone, everywhere, at every time. Because all things were created through me, by me, and for me. I have dominion over everything. I am the Son of God. I am alive. I just beat death. 
And I alone can save a condemned world from its just punishment for sin. Because remember Jesus told Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus back in John 3, whoever believes in the Son of God will not perish but have eternal life, right? John 3.16. John 3.18, but whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because they didn't believe. We're under just punishment. Given that capital T truth spoken by Jesus, that he is over all things, the natural, logical, healthy response, what do you think Jesus says your natural, healthy, logical response should be? If you agree that I'm alive when I was dead, if you agree I'm the Son of God, if you agree I have dominion over everything, including this place, what should you do? I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. But just go tell. Go, go. Beginning of what today we call the Great Commission. The Great, y'all go out and do this mission together. Which is what commission means. Go and tell. Go do that. Evangelism is the natural response to worship. Go tell. I think this pizza is worthy I had to tell you how good this pizza was. Would you call that natural or unnatural? That was the best game. That was the best game. Did you see the catch that won the game? Did you see that? Let me show you the highlights. It's on YouTube. Is that natural? God is so worthy. Jesus rose from the dead. I got to tell you about this is unnatural? Jesus says, I want you to... In fact, he gives two commands, right? Great Commission is two commands, both of which are relatively simple. Not necessarily easy to do, but relatively simple. First command is go. Word in Greek that literally means go. And by that you mean go. There's two commands. The first one is, no, seriously, just get up and do something. I don't know. That's awfully complicated. Is it? How could it possibly be? Just get up and go. Just just go. We come up with a lot of different reasons where go doesn't actually mean go. It's like, well, you mean like if I'm a missionary? Or you mean support the evangelists who go, oh, Kevin. Pastor Kevin will go, you go. You go. Stand up and move. You go, I can't. You go, oh, I'm sorry. Well, we live in a digital age. I'm sorry. I'm an old man. Get up and go. Tell somebody. If you go, I, I, just, I didn't know that was really talking to me. Proverbs says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those stagger, staggering towards slaughter. If you say, oh, I didn't know anything about that. <laughs> Doesn't the one who weighs the heart perceive it? Doesn't the one who guards your life know it? You know there are people stumbling toward death. Maybe go go tell them, this is a great pizza. <gasps> Let me show you the catch that won the game. Let me tell you about my risen Lord. It's natural. Go. Go tell them. Just go tell. The second one is slightly more complex. I, I, don't, I don't want you to wait just for the ideal time, because there will never be an ideal time, right? In a broken world dealing with broken toys, and you're a broken toy. So 
it's never going to be perfect. I just didn't know if the time was right. You never will. Just say something. Do something. Live something out. You're an ambassador. Do that. But the second thing takes that a tiny step further. No, I don't need to persuade. No, I don't need to argue somebody into the kingdom. No, I, I don't need to defend. I don't need to prove anything. But the second one is go and make disciples. The only other command. Now, how you do that is baptizing and teaching. But those aren't commands. Those are just, and this is the mechanisms of how I want you doing that. The commands are go and make disciples. Remember what making disciples is? It's saying, here, step where I step. There's a minefield here, and I know where the mines are. So step where I step. Literally what the word is talking about. People go, all right. And you go, no, 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 no. I'm not just trail guiding you. I'm discipling you. Step where I step, or you'll stand on a landmine and go, boom. Don't do that. Step where I step. By definition, that is simple. Yes? I step here. Jehovah starts with an I. Step where I step, right? It's, it's a Indiana Jones. Never mind. Step where I step and step there. That's simple. Is that always easy? No. But step where I step. Anyone can and should be sharing the good news. But it's never just, here's a gospel tract, now go live happily ever after. Is it? It's not even a, pray this sinner's prayer with me. Did you pray the sinner's prayer? Yeah, okay, go and be well. Live happily ever after. All you need to do is share what you know. And yet, he also calls us, to be telling people step where I step. And you go, well, I suppose that, that implies I have to actually be stepping in the right places, which means that hopefully somebody is telling me step where I step. We disciple one another. Secondly, it implies that I'm actually going to spend some time on this with you. <laughs> I can't just throw a tract at you and walk away. And it means I've got to share life with you. There's got to be some relationship there. But isn't that what we get over and over again in Scripture? Isn't that what Paul says? Isn't that what Jesus says? Isn't that what Paul and Peter says? Constantly this idea of, well, yeah, you just got to stay in relationship. You got to be in relationship with God. You're now disciples of Christ like we were. And Christ is telling you now, step where I step. Step where Paul steps. Randy is stepping where Paul steps. Step where Randy steps. Not because Randy's so good, but he's trying to step where Paul steps. And if Randy starts to step on a landmine, even if you're his disciple, maybe look at Randy and go, no, 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 isn't that a landmine? I'm sorry, isn't that exactly, I know, Kevin translation, but isn't that exactly what Paul says? Isn't that what Peter says? We need to honor our leaders and yet hold them accountable, second guess everything against scripture. Every single one of you is sitting here because people did this, right? I'm sorry, did, my mistake. Any of you become a Christian because Paul himself brought you to Christ? Just Paul. Then we're being brought to Christ because somebody stepped where somebody else stepped, who 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 stepped where Paul stepped. We are never more than one generation 
of believers away from the end of the church. Never more than one. If one generation says somebody else will share, somebody else will disciple, the church is dead. But the church isn't even remotely dead because we're also only one interaction away from the birth of an entirely new generation of Christians. And we keep doing that and people keep being faithful to doing that, which is an awesome thing. We're following the Great Commission. We're told to make new disciples who make new disciples who make new disciples. And we, we is an easy word to say. And if I say we... Sometimes I mean we, and sometimes I mean we as an aggregate, which doesn't necessarily include me. We are going to be supportive of something. By that I mean Nikki's going to give money to it, and I'm standing next to her when she does. So we were supportive. We, in this case, needs to include you and you and you and you and me and you and you and you. All of us. We is all we. We am all we. Each one of us am we. And it has to be that. Because otherwise, it isn't we, it's just y'all. Or worse yet, you. Just, Just him. He'll go do it, and then we will all say, yes, we did it. We made sure it got done, that's the same thing. But Paul told new generation or Timothy, because remember he converted, right? He's 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 Greek. He told Timothy, the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, what you know from me, I want you to trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Who then will also be qualified to teach others. Who then will also be qualified to teach others. There's an implied little dot, dot, dot. Peter told new generationers, you guys, he's writing probably to the Roman Christians, he says, you guys, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You guys are a new generation. And you get to tell people. And then they get to tell people. And then they tell two friends. And then they tell two friends. You've been saved from darkness and into God's light. And if that's true, go and tell. And say, walk where I walk, man. Step where I step. Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believed because you told them and they walked where you walk. So be careful how you walk. You told them, so be careful of what you say. The Holy Spirit then draws them to God, this whole new generation of Christians, over and over. And if that still sounds daunting to you, if you still find yourself going, I doubt, even though I trust God's character, I doubt, even though I, 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 I know what I believe, and I know I do believe, but I doubt, because you, I know it's a command, but I'll be honest, sometimes I'm just not very good at even following the commands. Even if I totally believe, I just don't necessarily do it. If you still doubt that God can use you, or that you should, step out in this great commission. Jesus gave one last, last teaching worth talking about. Run with me one last time, one last place. Go to Acts chapter 1 with me. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we're told that Jesus appeared to them over a a period of 40 days, spoke about the kingdom of God. This isn't just an upper room thing, or we happen to be standing by the Sea of Galilee that one time. I keep talking to you, and I keep talking about how you're ambassadors of a kingdom. On one occasion, 
while he was eating with them because he's alive, right? Yes? Yes. So he's eating with them again, sitting around the campfire, eating. He gave them this command, right away, don't leave Jerusalem. I don't want you to go. I know that you're tempted to go back to Galilee. I know you're tempted to do everything. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. I've talked with you about the Holy Spirit. I want you to wait because the Spirit is going to be poured into you. And they go, well, wait, didn't you already breathe the Spirit into us? And he's like, not like this. Have you guys ever, ever, well, you ever eaten food? Yeah, goes into your body, right? Yeah, food's in you. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to throw you into a vat of jello over your head. It's not just a matter of, I took a bite of jello. Trust me, you're going to be inundated. You're going to be filled to overflowing because I want you to overflow. You have the Holy Spirit in you, yes. But you're going to be baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit. Trust me, stick around for that. John baptized you in water. You were immersed, and then you came up something different than what you were, right? That's what you at least wanted. He's like, wouldn't it be great if that's what you could do? John baptized with water. In a few days, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be changed. You're going to go under one thing, and you're going to, you're going to come up something else. Not only that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he says in verse 8. You're going to receive power, like Samson received power when the Holy Spirit came on him, right? Holy Spirit came on him, and he ripped a lion apart with his bare hands. Holy Spirit came upon him with power, and he ripped the, the gates off those city and carried them. Holy Spirit came upon him with power, and he ripped apart the, the Philistines. The Holy Spirit will come upon you with power, and you go, what superpower do I get? Do I get to rip open lions on my bare hands? Do I fly like Superman? Ooh, I want to fly. Do I fly? Flight. I want flight. I will give you power. The Holy Spirit is coming with power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's your superpower. It's not in your strength. It's never in your strength. You will be an ambassador of the kingdom of God in the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled people to rip lions apart and destroy whole armies. You will have that power to share what you know, to go and make disciples. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. And by that, I don't mean you, Thomas. You'll be my witnesses. Here. There. Even over there with the people you don't like. And over here to everyone around the world. That's where you'll go. Where? Everywhere. To everyone. And then they'll tell two people. And then they'll tell two people. I'm telling you. 11 of you guys right now and what I'm telling you will reach around the world eventually because this is a geometric progression on that first resurrection Sunday it was hard to believe and not to doubt a week later it was hard to believe and not to doubt if you truly do believe that Jesus rose from the dead that he's alive again like he promised it's got to be even harder still to keep it to yourself
Doesn't it? Eric and I are Cubs fans. That's not easy always to say in public. He's even wearing a shirt. Because if you love him, how could you not? Nobody else is going to say good things about him. And I love me and my cubbies. But I love my Lord. I've, I've got to share. I've got to share. I've got to share. Luckily, it's never just me. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to overpower anybody. I don't need to persuade. I just need to share. And the Holy Spirit empowers me, emboldens me, gives me words to speak, goes before me to prepare their hearts. So where are you with that? Are you struggling to believe any of this because it's nonsense? Are you, no, I believe, I just, I I, I mean, I do, it's just, I don't entirely. Is it, no, I believe, I just, I'm afraid. Is it, I believe, but I just, I don't want to. Or are you ready to be an ambassador? You go, I just, I don't don't even necessarily know how. Wherever you're at in that spectrum, I'm going to give you exactly the same application of this sermon. Pray. Holy Spirit, fill me. Draw me close to God. Show me who you are. If you don't know the Lord, trust me, it changes you. If you do know the Lord, trust me, it changes you. If you're afraid to do this on your own, trust me, it changes you. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that it is never just us. I thank you that your word is truth and goes before us. I thank you your Holy Spirit is the truth bringer and goes before us. I thank you. I thank you. I pray, Lord, help us never doubt wherever we're at in that spectrum. Help us to not doubt, but to believe and to share what we know in your strength and in your leading and your guidance. In Jesus' most holy name and for your glory. Amen.